Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, what's up, guys? Clint here. Uh, this is a little bit different than we would normally do. This isn't exactly our usual recording of the live show. Uh, we're not talking about, well, I guess we are talking about things that are pretty prevalent in baseball right now and hell even the world if we're being honest um i hope everybody's still staying smart staying safe and fighting the good fight but uh last week we had an opportunity to jump on a zoom call with former dodgers gm mr fred claire friend of the show it's been a while since we've since we had fred on uh for, for the long-time listeners of Blue Heaven, Fred was, I guess, technically our first uh, real in-person guest. Uh, our old co-host, Kevin, and I uh, actually went out to Fred's office. Uh, I think that was episode five, way back in the day. Great conversation there, too. Fred is just uh, he's a, he's a, a caring, brilliant mind and all that kind of stuff. You know, there's not enough adjectives to... Uh, to just, just, I guess, really describe how appreciative we are of him and his time and really what he's fighting for. And while he's not here today exactly to completely plug his book, I do want to, at the start of the show here, mention he has a new book out, Extra Innings. Check it out at uh, DodgersNation.com slash Fred. There's actually a uh, 20% coupon code you can use friend of fred uh more details at that website but do check out that book proceeds are going to help the fine folks at the city of hope here in 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 uh, southern california they do incredible work and um yeah help them out help people out and get a good book while you're at it so yeah we're we're kind of plugging this into the usual rotation there are more uh, podcasts coming out this week, uh, but we would appreciate it if you listen to this uh, at least enough to to have it count as a podcast download. And uh, we'd appreciate it if you would uh, listen to whatever else we'll, we have coming out this week. New live show things every Monday, as you guys know. So um, without further ado, uh, here is some music. Hit it, me. Thanks, me. What's up, Dodgers Nation? Uh, we are honored to be joined by our, our friend and the Dodgers' former general manager. He's the manager of the Dodgers' last championship. He was, uh, sorry, general manager. He was the architect of that last 88 World Series team. Uh, he's been through a lot throughout his life and through the game of baseball. Welcome uh, to whatever we call this these days, Fred Clair. How you doing, Fred? I, I'm doing great and great to be with you guys. It's been a while since uh, we've we've had you on anything. Uh, obviously, we know you've been busy with with a lot of things. You got a book going. We'll, we'll we definitely want to talk a, a good amount about the book on this. But right now, I feel um, we'd all be remiss if we don't kind of get into the state of, of current affairs as they are. Uh, understandably, our nation's uh, it's suffering through great hardship, tragedy. Uh, you know, particularly with civil rights and, and the lack of progress made over way, 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 way too long. Fred, you were with the Dodgers organization at a time where 
you know, Jackie Robinson, Roy Campanella, everybody were continuing to fight what was right, you know, the equal rights, uh, even after Martin Luther King's unfortunate passing and uh, well, we should say it right, uh, assassination. What's um, some knowledge you can share of that time and, and, you know, impart onto the people of where we're at today? Well, I think the greatest thing I can share uh, would be the words of Jackie himself. And I had the honor to know Jackie and to be with him on two significant occasions. One in June of 1972, when we retired the uniform numbers of Jackie, Roy, and Sandy. The first uniform numbers ever retired by the Dodgers. And then in October of that year, I had the great honor to be with Jackie at the World Series in Cincinnati when Commissioner Kuhn asked him to throw out the first honorary first ball. And Jackie said, I will uh, if you give me a chance to say a few words. And Bowie agreed to that. And Jackie word, Jackie's words are there on the internet and other places. And Jackie said uh, in his own special way, acknowledging that baseball has made progress, but I will not be happy, and I believe his words were, until I see a black man in the third base coaching box, mm -hmm. meaning a, uh, a black, a minority manager. And uh, that was in 1972. Jackie, to be with him on that occasion, and uh, significant in terms of Jackie's health at that point, as we gathered before he was to throw out the first ball, make his remarks, a person approached Jackie and those of us who were around him, Jackie didn't recognize the person approaching and one of uh, Jackie's friends whispered in his ears, Jackie, it's Pee Wee. It was indeed Pee Wee Reese. Mm -hmm. uh, Jackie fighting diabetes couldn't see Pee Wee 10 feet away and of course, they embraced as they had in Cincinnati on Crosley Field many years before. Mm -hmm. But in sharing the words so pertinent uh, uh, then and now are Jackie's words, a life is not important except on the impact it has on other lives. That really was the motto, the, the philosophy, the feeling of Jackie. And they applied then and even greater now. So for all of us in what we do and how we do it, how can we help to impact other lives, others around us? And so um, uh, Jackie is the... Um, uh, it's the symbol uh, for that, and uh, such an honor to um, to have the opportunity to know him and to be in his company. Yeah, what, uh, what kind? Oh, go ahead. What kind of um, experiences did you see um, as the general manager during your time? I mean, even not even general manager. I mean, earlier uh, when you're handling the public relations department or something like that. Like, what were the things that you saw from the media because the main complaint today for uh this movement is systematic racism right and um 
it's just a matter of just figuring out what did you see back then that you didn't realize was racism or prejudice or preferential treatment and that that you learned about as you know, you, you were in this you you got like older in this system the yeah growing yeah. into the position and you started realizing how different people were being treated i think that's you know something that maybe the fans can understand that there has been some improvement maybe you know and so from your perspective you probably have the best from from anything well again i w- i would get back just for a uh, a bit of a comparison with jackie's words acknowledging that yes some things have been done but no it's not enough mm. and certainly during my time with the dodgers as far as social unrest you have to look to 1992 and what was taking place in South Central Los Angeles. And so here we are now decades removed from that and there's been no real resolution to the, uh, to the inequality and to the uh, online unrest and the the lack of uh, equality so it's a um, if there's a lesson uh, the lesson is there hasn't been enough uh, progress made there is so much more uh, to do uh, than has been done but you know okay yes when you look at history and if you do take the Dodgers for the example of Jackie breaking the quote, color barrier and coming into baseball, that's great. And that's been acknowledged, but that's not enough. There's so much more than we had to do. And I think to bring that from the history of Jackie to the, the, the Dodgers of today and a man that I greatly respect uh, is, is Dave Roberts, a wonderful friend, and his quotes in the Los Angeles Times this morning. We, we have failed our younger generation. And uh, I was, um, uh, I texted Dave to say that I agree with him 110%. So there's m- so much more that needs to be done. We, we need to look with where we've been and the injustice that has been there. But uh, as important to that, we need to uh, know and, and have a course for where we go for a better tomorrow. And, and I've been pleased to see the words not only of Dave, but of uh, Doc Rivers and of Magic. Yeah. Uh, we, and uh, we, we need the leadership stepping forward, not just from sports and not just from managers or coaches. We need the leadership of our country to step forward. And, and the, the heading that I have, that what I feel in my heart and soul is this. We are better than this. I've lived 84 years. We're better than this, mm-hmm. and we need to be much better than this. And so that's what um, drives me to play whatever role that I can play to be a part of that. We are better than that for sure. So we, we've talked about it over the past couple of days, how much how, how influential baseball has been throughout history and how it's kind of been a driving force throughout America's history just in general. 
Um, you know, you talk about Jackie breaking the color barrier. It was such a huge thing for the world at large, not just for sports. So sure. I think more often than not, we look to baseball for as an example, mm-hmm. as hope, as progress. Uh, and so during this time specifically, it's it's really tough. You know, we're in yeah. the middle of yet another labor stoppage, but in in the, in almost in a new sense, in the sense that we've never really had anything exactly like this before. Yeah. Um, and Fred, you've, you've lived through plenty of baseball work stoppages in your lifetime. Um, <laughs> maybe you can talk about those, what the players are going through, what the front office executives are go through, going through at this time, and maybe hopefully what we can expect from it. Well, the most concerning thing, I thought that uh, Bill Shaken, who does uh, a very good job in covering uh, baseball for the Los Angeles Times. Uh, Bill's story uh, in yesterday's LA Times was one uh, that I think was um, noteworthy uh, and and very uh, sad for me to see uh, his conclusion or his thought that what's happening here is a lack of trust of the players not trusting management. In all of my years with the Dodgers, my years as executive vice president, my years as general manager, the one thing that I tried my best every day, every period, every hour, was to build a relationship of trust with the players. And I'm not the one to answer how that ultimately played out because the answer isn't what I intended to do or what I wanted to do. It would be the players themselves asking what was Fred's relationship with us? Did we trust him? Mm. And that's so important in any negotiation. Uh, You, you can't reach a, a, um, uh, a, a good result in a negotiation without having trust uh, mm-hmm. and that's so uh, critically important and I, I think that that's really what needs to be done because in the negotiations today first of all if I had had any involvement and I don't say this is a second guess I just simply say it from my own uh, perspective and history I would have said to the players look we're not going to discuss any financial part until we discuss how we're handling the health, welfare of the players and others involved in the game. Yeah. From the players to the clubbies, to the media, to everyone. And until we agree that we have a foundation of health and your safety first, I I have no interest in discussing money. Mm -hmm. Right. Once we agree on that and we're partners in that, then let's talk about what the financial part of this. But let's look to the bigger objective of needing to have a successful conclusion to get the game back on the field and get the game to the fans. Because I lived through however many labor stoppages there were, (laughs) seven or eight, I lived through all of them. I, I knew Marvin Miller. I knew uh, Gene Orza. Mm-hmm. I, I knew Dick Moss. I, I knew all that involved and, and tried to form the best working relationship that I could. So the thing that uh, baseball needs to understand, the players and the owners, they better not fail. 
They better not fail this game over money or they're going to have the biggest failure of their lifetimes. Believe me. When the uh, baseball was called off, remember it well, remember being in the clubhouse in 1994 in Cincinnati when it was announced uh, the season will be stopped, that there will be a work stoppage. Yeah. And that didn't end. And they gave the, the teams, me as a general manager, the assignment in 1995. People, uh, the World Series is canceled in 94. In 1995, the, quote, replacement players seldom have in history have so many great young players and people been placed in such a awkward position. But as the general manager of the Dodgers, if you're going to tell me prepare to play a National League game to begin 1995, I guarantee you I'm not looking at truck drivers and I'm not looking at bartenders. I'm looking at people who wear that L.A. hat because in one game may make the difference. So mm. you, we lost the World Series. We lost uh, the, uh, the, the feeling between the players and the owners because there was so much bitterness. And we lost the fans. And the first thing that I did when spring training finally started then, after the season, after the strike ended, as we know, uh, we were at Dodger Stadium, a final Sunday game of the, quote, exhibition season with the Angels. When we went into Dodger Town, the first thing I did was to call all of the leaders of our team together. And I said, guys, we, we have a task in front of us. Mm -hmm. You, me, all of us. We better figure out a way to come together and work together to bring back the game for our fans or we're going to be in serious trouble. And to um, uh, my great joy, those players were so supportive, the leaders of our team, in coming back together. Yeah, you look at we, – we've had <laughs> – I think it was Adrian Gonzalez recently also with the, you know, in the LA times had mentioned the idea of like the potential of, of almost the scab culture, getting players, some people off the 40 man roster just to play games. If, if the two sides can't come to agreement. And I, I personally feel that would be more than catastrophic to the game. Uh, it, it definitely would. If we didn't yeah. learn our lesson from that, yeah. uh, then I, I don't know when we'll ever learn our, our lesson. That, that never should have happened. No. We never, mm -hmm. The clubs never should have been asked to prepare to play a season. That was what the burden that was placed on us as mm -hmm. general managers. That should never happen. Uh, if they can't reach an agreement, boom. They get the game, the game sinks and the players and the owner better realize and they should realize what a disaster this will be if they now don't reach an agreement. So I think that's the downside. Mm -hmm. I think an agreement will be reached and I'll tell you why yeah. they cannot fail. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, recently the, the great Rich Eisen had mentioned like, same thing you're saying. They can't fail. Baseball, you can't miss this opportunity. No. And, no. you know, the last time this happened in 94, you know, this time there's not going to be a Sammy Sosa. 
There's not going to be uh, a Mark McGuire. There's not going to be a Cal Ripken Jr. No. Iron Manning. His, there's nobody that's going to do that. Baseball cannot be saved, may not be able to be saved again if something like this were to, to happen. If you're going to fight over money uh, in a time when people need baseball, uh, need something, need a change from, from the day to day, you have your chance, baseball, you have your platform. And now, you know, with today's news, the NBA has laid out their plan. Baseball's had all this time and, and they've blown it. Don't continue to blow it. Needs to happen. Yeah. Absolutely. Fred, there's also the uh, collective bargaining agreement that's expiring after the next potential season. So, I mean, with all of this in mind, where do you think we're headed with that? Because I think for a long time that we've, we've felt things were not going to go very well when we got to the end of this agreement. And now it's really feeling, you know, contentious, I guess you could say. Well, it, it is. And um, that's why um, reaching a, uh, an agreement now to get us into and through a 2020 season, whatever that may be, and the chance to come together is so critically important in terms of what's going to happen when that agreement comes to an end at the end of the 2021 season. Mm -hmm. And when I think about the uh, agreement, I think about, I was so blessed to uh, be in the company of so many wonderful people. And I think about the great Walter O'Malley. And I was with Mr. O'Malley on one occasion when he was asked after Sandy retired, uh, Mr. O'Malley, this was a few years after Sandy had retired and times had changed. He said, what would Sandy make if he was still playing? And Walter (laughs) spun that cigar and he said, he would be my partner. He would be my partner. And after all, that's what this is. That's what I always strive to do. We have a partnership. We are not separate entities. Mm -hmm. We, I was not ownership, but we, management, ownership, players are one. And so if we can't uh, figure out in a sport that has not now gone over uh, before current events over what ten billion dollars in annual revenues, <laughs> if we can't figure out how to come to an agreement, uh, then we're in um, uh, we're we're really in in deep trouble. We yeah. we need to get a in my view a a lot of the spirit of the game back into play here. The game is being driven, has been driven so much by analytics. And it was really part of the analytics um, that that have created a a significant number of the changes that are taking place from uh, not only on the playing field, but uh, on the structure of the game as related to minor league baseball uh, all of that we we people who are, are are the experts at analytics and and i've been a partner in a baseball analytics company so i understand it but if you're driven by that and not the heart and soul of the game you're in trouble yeah. because i'll tell you something this is not a game of analytics 
This is a game of the heart and the soul and the mind and the body and the spirit. You know, uh, looking at it a perfect way to package all that up, you talking about, um, you know, the culture you're trying to you tried to to instill in the club and in the team uh, when you were running it. And, and you look at people like Oral Hershiser still in your life and, and still so important uh, or tying these these two parts together. Somebody like Mick, Mickey Hatcher, what he meant to that team. I, I can guarantee you analytics do not tell you to sign <laughs> Mickey Hatcher to go release. No, Jerry no, Royce. no. No, when when, uh, when when the Twins released Mickey in 1987, and uh, that was my first move, I yeah. guarantee you, I didn't go to the stats to see what Mickey had uh, hit in spring training. I can guarantee you that I knew Mickey Hatcher. I had seen Mickey Hatcher. But I'll tell you something about Oral. I once, history has forgotten this, uh, I once made Oral the highest paid yeah. player in the game. You can mm -hmm. look it up. It was for, after 88, it was for yeah. three years. I think it was for less than $9 million. So it was a pretty good signing. Oral's a pretty smart guy. And even at the press conference, I remember him saying, this highest paid part will last until the ink dries and then it will be over time. <laughs> here's my point. The relationship of Oral and myself over decades and what and and I released Oral, or that is to say, didn't sign him. Yeah. And remember in depth the I, I remember in depth the conversation when we made him the highest paid player. I remember when uh, we uh, we decided that we couldn't reach an agreement. Mm -hmm. But but the remarkable thing is this: through those negotiations, and. Or can speak to it as well as I can. Our trust never, ever wavered. Wow. Never. And that's what becomes important. And that's what the baseball owners mm -hmm. and today's general managers better th be thinking about. It irks me to the end of the earth when I hear a general manager, a baseball executive talk about that guy. <laughs> that guy, my friend, has a name he has a mm -hmm. family and you need if you're not in your organization and it's it's always great to see who steps forward in the toughest of times mm -hmm. and bless the uh, kansas city royals right. and their uh general manager how you're treating your players is a reflection of who you are. And uh, David Price, who I had an occasion to meet along the way, for him to step up, here's a player making X million. Yeah. I don't know how many million, but thinking about uh, paying the players, minor league players in the Dodger organization, I'm gonna tell you something. Those players will never forget that for the rest mm. of their lives. And some of them, uh, bless their hearts, may sign a contract for a 50 million or a hundred million, and they will never forget ever what that thousand dollars meant mm -hmm. to them. Right. And if you're running a major league club and you're at a top salary range, you walk in and say, I don't want to be cut 30%. Mm -hmm take 50%.
I want our players to be taken care of yeah. because that is what this game is all about. Game's not about general managers. Game's not about agents. Game's about the players. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Fred, there's the, the kind of the reverse of that, unfortunately, that we're seeing in baseball too. You know, if you, you want to talk about a franchise like the Oakland A's where, you know, they're cutting minor leaguer, sal- minor leaguer salaries, they're cutting their stipends and Terrible. things like that. How does, you know, we, in our discussions, we're like, you know, if you're, if you're talking about a shortened draft, which we're already have, have, having this year, um, a potential six round guy that's not going to be drafted is going to go sign a free agent contract somewhere you got to think he's not going to sign with a team like the A's who just decided not to pay their minor leaguers, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, I would think that would be good judgment on his part, very frankly. <laughs> right. I, I, I think it's uh, who do you want to be associated with? Who, who do you want to work with mm-hmm. and for? And I realized, that, look, all teams weren't created, aren't equal today. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to revenue, let's not try to compare the Dodgers and the A's. That's right. not that's not fair. <clears throat> Philosophies in doing what you can do and communicating that become critically important because players are like children. They once were children, but players to me are like children. They never forget anything. Mm-hmm. They never forget. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're, you're talking about the differences between the Dodgers and the A's. And yes, um, I think from a surface level, it's easy to understand that, yeah, it's LA, second biggest market in, in the country, and it's the A's, you know, their second fiddle in their own area. So um, the question is, how have the economics changed since your time to now? Because we're talking billions of dollars. And a lot of these owners are this is not their primary source of income anymore. So with that being said, do you think there's a hot, well, I'm not gonna say, do you think, but um, the chances of them punting the season increase more if it's not as significant a revenue to them. So do you think that's the case? Because from I'm outside of it and you, you made a bid to buy the Dodgers back, you know, earlier this decade. So you kind of, you have a good understanding of relatively what's the current economics of baseball right now and who are the main players and the main billionaires in this, in this whole league. Like what's your sense about the chances of them just punting the season? Uh, unfortunately, um, there is a, perhaps a chance because um, history will show us uh, that, or at least in the past, that uh, owners in dealing with players, one mistake that I saw in several labor negotiations, and it's, I, and I believe it's, it's true today, and people aren't writing about this or talking about this. In this type of negotiation, I, I, w- I would start to say I can all but guarantee, I can't guarantee anything. But what I saw in the past is there were owners who felt the players would fold. And that, my friends, is a major, major mistake. Because first of all, let's look at the basics. You're dealing with one of the most competitive groups ever put on the face 
of the earth, professional athletes. Do not sit there as an owner behind your desk or wherever you are thinking these guys are going to cave. Mm. That is a big, big mistake. Yeah. Secondly, uh, the, um, the amount of money, the average player now, the salary is what? $4 million. So, you know, uh, you, you have obviously a, uh, a, a diverse scale in terms of the highest paid on through, but, um, players, uh, major league players, sit there, many of them not sit there, but um, have had um, very successful careers as far as uh, the salaries that they've had. Mm -hmm. But it's more the competitive part of it. And that's what they're accustomed to. So you, you, you need to understand that because if there's any feeling, uh, the, I think that in, uh, in, in many ways, I'm not taking sides here, but in many ways, it's so important for both of them, both sides, to reach an agreement. But I suppose from my standpoint, trying to be objective, there's, there probably is more pressure on the owners than, um, than the players. Uh, mm -hmm. There's pressure on both sides. Uh, but, uh, but, it, it, but clearly, you don't want to make, make a misjudgment of trying to think about what the other side is thinking about other than the fact that don't be thinking these guys are going to cave in. Mm -hmm. uh, these, these guys don't cave on, on the fastball under their chins. So don't, <laughs> don't be thinking that. <laughs> um, yeah. Just a follow up. I'm sorry, Clint. Uh, just a follow up on that, on the flip side of it, the players right now. Um, how do you think the locker rooms, once baseball is back, and we all know the stories of certain players not wanting to come back, not willing to take the pay cut. And these usually are the players who are veterans and have bigger contracts. And in the meeting, voices, too. Yeah, and bigger voices because they have bigger contracts, right? Yeah. You're not hearing anything from the little guy. And those guys, I mean, you and you have, Fred. You, you've, you know these little guys during the work stoppage. What are, what's going through their mindset? What do you think is going through their mindset when they're hearing all the big guys with their eight-figure contracts, nine-figure contracts to sleep on? Like, what do you think the little guys are worried about right now? Because, I mean, we did some basic uh, napkin math, um, and we're figuring out, like, if you make minimum wage and you get your season prorated by 50%, and then you take another, you know, 17% cut off it, and then you get taxes – some of these players are going to be making five figures for this season to play this season, right? At a, I don't even know. It's a speculative health risk of them playing. And that, that's the thing is like, they'll still play for it because they need the money because they based all their expenses yeah. off their last year's salary, their leases, their cars, their whatever expenses. Yeah. Um, but back to the question is the locker room how do you feel after the stoppages you've experienced before? How long does it take for a team to get back together? Because our team has pretty good chemistry in the past, these past decade, you know? Yeah. So how's it going to well, affect I'll, us? I'll, I'll, I'll make a statement uh, that I feel strongly about from my experience. 
and you uh, hopefully will be in a locker room or able to talk to the players. So you can define whether I'm correct or not. <laughs> I think that those players at the lower scale will be welcome the opportunity to come back. Players, in my experience, you, you, I, I've never had the feeling that these guys starting out or not making that much are resentful of what the, the big salary guys mm -hmm. are making. I never have sensed that because they know that they have earned it. They know that they were once in the same position they are, these younger guys are now. I don't think that's a factor. I, I think that, you know, if you look at the negotiation and its basic format, it's probably actually the higher end guys that are more upset, mm -hmm. even though they are the higher end guys. Because look mm -hmm. at the negotiation. What's it telling us? It's telling us that um, the owners are winning an 81 game season because players are paid on a prorated basis. The union, the players association is saying we want a 144 game schedule. Mm -hmm. Why? Because the higher paid payers make more. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so um, that 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 there there is a and and uh, the players' association. I, I don't say this critically. Uh, recognize this. There there is there is a common bond when it comes to salary and benefits. Of look. The guys before you paved the way for the benefits you have today, and you have an obligation to stay in tune with what your association is trying to do for the current and future players. Mm -hmm. The Players Association has formed one, has formed one of the, the, the strongest groups because of the collective attitude. And it gets back to my point. If ownership is having a meeting saying, well, we, we, we think we've, we've heard things that, uh, you know, despite what some are saying, that uh, the players feel that they must come back and play. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think that's true, even though it's critically important for the players. One of the things I don't see uh, written about uh, as much as it should be, because uh, and maybe I've just missed it, because one of the big factors in all of this is service time. Mm -hmm. and, and, and believe me, there's nothing more important than service time for the young players. So they're, yeah. they're, they're, they're not yeah. going to complain about coming back if, if, they, if they make 20% of what they made. Yeah. That, that has almost zero factor from an overall financial standpoint, as service time gain. Service time gain is getting you to um, two plus or three years for arbitration, mm -hmm. which, which gets you a, whatever the percentage is, 100% yeah. increase, 200, I, I can't, yeah. my, I'm not that good at math. <laughs> Lots of money. Lots more. <laughs> 
kind of, uh, you know, stepping back there, talking about uh, some of the, the teams, the ownership groups that might be more inclined to want to punt a season right now because they everybody stands to lose more money in terms of you know ownership right now. They, they're going to lose money if they play a season, but you also need to play a season to look beyond 2020. But one team I, I, I feel we all can guarantee – uh, does want to play is the Los Angeles Dodgers because this team has built a, a championship team for this 2020 season going out and getting like we've already mentioned David Price getting Mookie Betts and one of the things we've kind of looked at this offseason uh, now extended offseason we've talked a lot about of late is is you know especially with the shortened season coming up is the value of of a championship and the value of a team and we've kind of found the ways to relate that to to what the astros did to to get to their 2017 um asterisk season but fred as somebody that knows about building uh, a winning team and winning clubhouse and and just knowing what what the value of that is I guess we can kind of start off with this. Like, where do you see, you know, the, the, the proposals are 50 games, 60 game, 80 game, 114 game seasons. Is there any less merit to that uh, a world championship in one of those shortened seasons? Obviously the Dodgers went through it in 81 uh, as well, but is there any less value to a championship like that? And is it more valuable than, uh, you know, what the Astros did a few years ago. <laughs> uh, well, a- anything is more valuable than what the Astros did. Uh, but I think that, uh, I think 81 uh, is, a, uh, is a good uh, comparison, if you would, uh, because it was a season interrupted, a totally changed season. And I don't think anyone could or should or would ever take away from uh, that championship and those championship players. Mm-hmm. Uh, is this going to be different? Uh, so different than we can't even um, imagine. And particularly uh, not having uh, fans or, or such a, a different type of environment. But a... A world championship is a world championship, and it will be uh, uh, recorded as such. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and maybe in history, we'll get uh, even added attention because of the unusual uh, yes. nature of it. But, uh, but those players and, and, um, uh, and with the Dodgers and the wonderful team have assembled uh, it clearly is important, uh, and they want to play because the uh, the other part of it is the the players realize that uh, we're not always we're not always going to be in a position to win a world championship. That that just doesn't historically that's never existed, will never exist. Mm-hmm. That you always have the opportunity. The Dodgers know they have a type of team yeah. uh, that can win a world championship. So I think it's uh, critically important uh, that they play because um, one more year, one more year of age, one more year of change as far as the makeup of the team um, totally changes the face of the team. So from the standpoint of not only the Dodgers, from the standpoint of all the teams and all the players and the fans, because um, if there's uh, – we, we definitely 
need the game back. Uh, we now, uh, the fans, uh, need the game back. I think that can be a very, very beneficial force. But yeah. I don't think it will. Uh, I, 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 it will just be historically noted uh, uh, in terms of uh, of what transpired. And I think that there will probably be, as there always is, some incredible stories that come out of um, of, of the season. And and I would add to that. I was the general manager of a team and a player came to me and said, Fred, look, um, I'm just not comfortable playing. Uh, you know, uh, my wife or my father or has a condition or my, one of my children, mm -hmm. I would say, um, God bless you. Uh, go home yeah. and, uh, and don't play because you, your, your life and your family is so much more important than a season or the game of baseball that there is no comparison. So I, mm -hmm. I would, I, 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 and I think that may be part of the agreement and definitely should be part of the agreement. No one, no one should be put in a health position that they're uncomfortable with. That, that, mm -hmm. that to me would end the negotiation right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it looks like they're trying to mix in some, some, uh, very nice things for the players in terms of if you do have health concerns or risks, uh, they, they will get paid out uh, in this, as of now, unagreed uh, upon um, uh, like agreement for a potential 2020 season. There's also, either way, players will be getting service time, as you've already said, is uh, extremely important, especially to the uh, you know pre-arbitration players. And and my final thought on, on the idea of, of this a World Series in the season not meaning as much. The idea is everybody's on a level playing field. So everybody's getting these 50 games. That's the season you have. It counts. And like we already said, it counts more than, uh, than an Astros championship ever would. But um, I know one of the things we really wanted to do, I mean, we've gone this long and not talked about the 81 <laughs> championship all that much. I'm sure you're, uh, <laughs> you almost had a sense of relief and not having to talk too much about it. But <laughs> one of the things I know, <laughs> uh, sorry, 88, 80, my bad. Yeah. yeah. All the numbers run together, but <laughs> one of the things I know we we were kind of wondering is is just your relation of the you know the purity of that '88 team, that '88 championship, and and you know comparing it to the Astros cheating and all that, like two very very different makeups of teams. You know what I guess you know Gary, you you had uh, you know some more thoughts on it about like uh, behind the scenes that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, players. I mean, what are the players? Cause oral oral went off and talked oh, yeah. about how, how much he's benefited from a real world championship in 88, yeah. how his career has been defined about how it was life from the performance. Yeah. It was life changing for him. And it, does it cheapen orals and yours championships the way the Astros did it? Like what, you know, I, I just feel, I know we're completely biased here, but it was just <laughs> having that underdog, like this is one of the best championships to ever happen, you know? And it's it just so pure with a bunch of underdog players yeah. like this. And, and, and I know to one have of the, the things, Astros. 
yeah. I say, but, well, that too, but also like what Bulldog was talking about, uh, you know, it, it, what, what the Astros did and what it cost players like Clayton Kershaw in their career, that, that acclaim, what it, what it meant for somebody like, or what it could have meant for somebody like Justin Turner in the long run. You know, Hershiser said, I probably wouldn't have this job right now if it wasn't for that team. And now you look mm-hmm. at the Astros robbing the 17 Dodgers arguably the best team in baseball that season. You look at the numbers, you look at the players, great uh, group of human beings. And (laughs) I don't know. I don't know where to go. Yeah. Basically how, how do you compare the two and what do you think the legacy of the Astros players and what are they going to suffer for their career? You know, uh, great. Just from what you think. (laughs) Well, I, uh, I guess my feeling is this, first of all, the Astros, uh, certainly didn't, uh, diminish um 88 there's no comparison uh whatsoever mm-hmm. um there is a segment in the book extra innings by tim madigan that really um i hadn't uh thought about uh in many years but you'll recall in the uh championship series with the uh, mets the national league championship series in 88 on a very cold day uh, in Chase Stadium. Uh, Jay Howe was on the mound for the Dodgers at a critical situation as it usually was when Jay appeared. And the home plate umpire, uh, uh, Harry Wendelstead, went to the mound, uh, asked for the ball, and threw Jay out of the game. Yeah. The fans began to shout, and I, I think this is relevant uh, as far as how one feels. I'll forget it. It rings in my ears. Cheryl and I were sitting there with Peter and Arnett Amali. Dodgers cheat. Dodgers cheat. Dodgers cheat. <laughs> and I have never uh, uh, been so upset uh, in my life. And uh, I went into the clubhouse <clears throat> and said to Tommy, Tommy, uh, get Jay Howe in here and get Ron Paranoski in here. Because whatever happened out there, I want to make one thing very clear. When we're asked about it by the press, the National League office, commissioner's office, we will be totally open, honest, and transparent. Because whatever the hell happened, uh, we all will take responsibility for. But we are not going to be labeled as cheaters. That's how emotional. And actually, very frankly, in many ways, I was probably over-emotional because I did respond to it in that way. Because on a cold day, Jay had used pine tar. Pine tar isn't used, I mean, the players themselves can tell you, uh, for that much of an advantage, other than, if anything, a safety mm-hmm. factor, so you're not throwing a fastball that gets away from you. It's not giving the ball extra spin, to my knowledge, to my involvement in the game. But to be labeled a cheater in that one small segment would have totally destroyed my feeling about everything that we had put together. So I, in many ways, um, I, feel, I feel sad 
really sad for the Astro players. But uh, at the same time, they have to take the responsibility for what they did as a team mm -hmm. because um, they, it, it, was ir it was totally irresponsible. You, you, the most important thing you have in this game as a player, as a executive, is the credibility. And the Astros lost it. And the World Series, anybody who was a part of it has lost it um, forever. And um, those who were in a position of um, authority, clearly from what I've read, knew what was happening, mm -hmm. allowed it to happen, and uh, have paid and will continue to pay a huge, huge price. Hmm. Yeah. Um, moving, moving on, we know you're, you're running shorter on time. You have some other things you got to do today, but we, uh, we did want to talk about your book and make sure you have, uh, we all have enough time to talk about it. Uh, Extra Innings, Fred Clare's Journey to City of Hope and Finding a World Championship Team. We've covered the Finding a World Championship Team and getting through uh, labeling, being labeled as cheaters. But, you know, Fred, last week you and I talked a little bit about, uh, you know, just kind of how the City of Hope was built. And obviously your book, all proceeds, uh, if I'm not mistaken, are going towards City of Hope and, and cancer research and, and all the, the great stuff that incredible team does there. But uh, you and I were talking about it last week, you know, what <laughs> looking at this virus now, we have coronavirus and, and we're all still living through whatever this is at the moment. That's, that, that's the type of thing that City Hope was, was kind of built on. So if you could just kind of, you know, speak I know, I know that the passion you carry for for the fine folks at City of Hope. So yeah. just kind of talk speak on them and that championship team. Yeah, as I was gonna say, talk about a championship team. When we were reading, we were reading through the book. It was like, wow. Yeah, a lot. No, of that that know. is indeed. Um, I, I've described it with all due respect to a eighty one, eighty eight, and all great teams. Uh, this is the greatest team that I've ever been a uh, a part of. Because when you think about uh, City of Hope. And the start of uh, City of Hope, uh, it was set up as a, a few tents, a few doctors and nurses taking on patients by a disease that no one felt safe to be a part of. Mm -hmm. And it was tuberculosis. And that really was the origin. We, we will take you and we will care for you. And to have... Um, to now have a um, four plus uh, nearly five year journey with City of Hope and to see the great work that they do and the great leadership, uh, Robert Stone, the great doctors, Dr. Foreman, Dr. Rosen, so many others, and the way they care for their patients. Uh, when I became, Cheryl and I became a part of that team as a patient, I just felt that, wow, Talk about a, a, a need and a good cause. What is it that we can do? And that led to the two golf tournaments where we were fortunate with help like yours and others to uh, be successful in raising money for the City Hope. And then realizing that we needed to really see if we could be a part of helping to tell the story from a national standpoint uh, of the City of Hope. 
And uh, when City of Hope reached agreement with the publisher, Mascot Books, uh, and with uh, all funds going to the uh, City of Hope, and hopefully with national exposure on this great um, medical center, because it's very much tied to baseball, uh, with or without me. Uh, Dr. Foreman, as you know, is a great friend of the Dodgers, a legendary um, uh, person in the world of, uh, of cancer. And he, long before I arrived, Dr. Foreman used a philosophy of getting patients healthy so that they could get out to the ballpark with their family and friends and have their view directed to the field, not to themselves, not mm. to difficult times, but to the joy of the game. That's who Dr. Foreman is and what he's all about. And uh, I've seen it play out in terms of how they do care about patients. And when you're a patient at City of Hope, they give you a wristband to put on to your appointment. And uh, it's very much like being part of a team because you, you relate to every patient you see, whether it's a 10-year-old child or an 85-year-old person in a wheelchair. And you have the empathy for those people and you want to try to help. So if our book, uh, written by Tim Madigan, uh, can help in any way, can help the City of Hope from funds and exposure, can help future and current patients, uh, then uh, uh, that, that will be the, uh, uh, the latest part of anything, or not the latest, the most important part of anything that I've ever been a part of. Yeah, Fred, maybe you can talk a little bit about how the book kind of came together, because you know, in reading through it, you're jumping back and forth um, throughout the book between your experiences with City of Hope and then your experiences of building a championship team. And I think those two so closely relate. And, you know, I don't think it was till halfway through the book that I was like, those things were so synonymous in my head. Just the things that you were going through with the 88 team. And then again, with the City of Hope team, it was like, wow, this is really like, I think Gary even had a had a very similar question where he was like, who was the Kirk Gibson of your city of hope team? And I was, and you know, reading through Well, it, you know, uh, as Kirk himself has said at our reunion of 88, look, anybody could have hit that home run. Yeah. He said it and he believes it. Mm -hmm. And the same is true of city of hope. I'll, I'll tell you an interesting story. Fascinating. I deal with a, um, occupational therapist after two, uh, neck operations, uh, Majabin from India, uh, I'm sorry, from Pakistan. Wonderful, mm. wonderful occupational therapist. So we were outside her office one day and up walks Dr. Foreman. Cheryl and I were there and I said, Dr. Foreman, Majabin is the best occupational therapist at City of Hope, bar none. And he looked at me and he looked at Majabin and he said, no, Fred. She's part of the team. <laughs> that is the philosophy. There is no one. It is a team. And it's not, and, and the book, uh, the way that it came together, because the stories that unfold, me meeting a high school baseball coach 
with the same oncologist, Tom Quinley, a great coach. The manager of the Texas Rangers credits his career, Chris Woodward, to Coach Quinley. Mm. One of the players on the South Hills team that Coach Tom had before he passed away, Jalen Thong, at 18 years of age, is a two-time survivor of leukemia at the age of 18 or 19. My dear friend, Kevin Towers, fought a courageous battle beyond words, beyond description, with anaplastic thyroid cancer, where basically you have two months and that's it. And his battle throughout his last year. So the, um, the book and, and then the contributions of Tim reaching out to um, Tommy and Vinny and Oral and Kirk and Mickey and Jay Howe and so many, I think that he has done a wonderful job of, uh, of weaving the stories, uh, not the Fred story. I just happened to be <laughs> the, uh, the person to kind of go through all of this and have everyone come together. Mm. But it's been um, uh, so uh, important to Cheryl and to myself. And uh, we're just so grateful to the City Hope that we continue to want to do everything that we can. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's a great book. It's definitely uh, like I've mentioned online. It's something that every everybody should have, but definitely every Dodger <laughs> fan should have uh, on their bookshelf. Fred, make sure you do tell them we've obviously you know everything's going to be in the descriptions below and all the spots online that that we can uh, to to point people in the right direction for the book but getting your words on on where people can get it and uh and all that if, if you could help let the folks know where to grab the book well the uh, publisher of uh, extra innings is mascot books uh, a wonderful publishing company and one can go to uh mascot books or fred claire extra innings and uh, there's a little coupon if you put in friend of fred you get a 20% discount off of uh, extra innings and mascots done a wonderful job of having the books available now and shipping them within uh, one week. And certainly anybody who contributes is definitely a friend of Fred and Cheryl. And the book uh, also will be available on Amazon beginning July the 7th. So um, we're very pleased to see the support uh, that city hope is receiving and uh, the exposure and um, look forward to, um, uh, being a uh, having the book be uh, a part, hopefully, of the uh, the upcoming uh, baseball season and uh, and the lives of uh, all of us as we um, uh, battle some uh, very significant challenges. Well, Fred, we we appreciate your time. Uh, it, it's always great conversation with you. Um, you're good at you're good at this stuff. I want you to know that. <laughs> <laughs> so, but we we thank you for hanging out with us this morning. Uh, as as uh, every every conversation ends these days, stay safe, stay healthy. We hope to see you uh, out in the real world soon enough. Thanks, guys. Look yeah. forward to it. Thank you, Fred. Thank okay. you, Fred. Okay. Appreciate it. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks. That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.